Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. Stephen, I think I'm a little bit taller than the handyman. <laughs> Welcome into Sports Sunday. If you're watching on the stream, you can't even really see the top of my head. It's mostly just my eyes. We'll get that adjusted at the break. <laughs> oh, buddy. I'm sorry, man. I don't mean to uh, to make fun of you. He's... 10 to noon, right? It's Gar- it's Nelly first, then then Buddy. I do not mean to height shame. I'm sorry. That comes off as, as rather rude, but it's funny because... You look like a giant. <laughs> I'm huge, man. <laughs> look at me. Welcome in to Sports Sunday on Super Talk. I'm Michael Borky. He's Steven Gagliano. It is very, very good to be with you after two games. Series isn't over yet, but after two games that... Lived, absolutely lived up to the hype. We spent all week talking about this series. An especially important one for Ole Miss, considering they they lost the last two. Mississippi State entered with a lot of momentum. If you told me to pick which team this series mattered more for going into the weekend, or what who it was more important for, I would have said Ole Miss. Losing three series in a row, just not good. And we'll see if, if that happens later on today. But... Uh, Big crowds, you got a great game, just overall very good game on Friday night, and then one of the better pitching performances you'll ever see uh, from Doug Nikhazy yesterday. So that was awesome. You had Mississippi State's spring game yesterday and a big sigh of relief uh, from that. So the only thing that can really happen in the spring game is wild overreactions and devastating injuries. That's really all that you can take away from spring games. And uh, when I saw the Wally injury for Mississippi State, and he couldn't walk, he was helped off the field and stuff like that, I feared the worst. And a picture came out on social media a couple hours after the game of Wally still in his football pants, got a brace on that knee, uh, with sunglasses and a cowboy hat on, <laughs> just looking like an absolute boss. And uh, luckily, uh, we got some good news there. The The reporting is that it's a uh, MCL sprain, which is okay. You never want to see a guy get hurt, obviously. But it's April. They don't play a game for four months. I, I suspect that an MCL sprain will be recoverable within four months, and he'll be good to go for the season opener against Louisiana Tech. That was great news yesterday because I feared the worst. Yeah, those kind of injuries, and if you see the video, it's I believe it was Jaquavius Marks or Dylan Johnson, one of the, one of Mississippi State's running backs, kind of fell on like the back of Wally's leg. He yeah. kind of rolled up on him, almost like you would see with an offensive lineman, that kind of injury usually. So really good to see him up and in good spirits, obviously, with a cowboy hat on walking around after the game. Yeah, that uh, 
I mean, if I if I ran Mississippi State Twitter accounts, that would be my head photo for a while. <laughs> Just that picture right there. There's some free advice for you. Um, so we had that. So baseball, we had a spring game that we are going to definitely overreact to. And we'd love to hear from you as well. If you've got a massive overreaction to the spring game yesterday, I'd love to hear it. We're going to do it next week as well for uh, for Ole Miss. Forgive me, allergy season. Bless you. Oh man. Um, uh, so we'll overreact to that today, and as well as uh, next week, overreacting to Old Miss's spring game. I always love uh, doing that. Once we get past those, uh, Trevor Lawrence's comments. Uh, a lot of strong opinions on both sides. I, I see where both people are coming from. I do think, though. If I was a member of the front office of the Jacksonville Jaguars, I would at least have questions for Trevor Lawrence. I'm not going to not draft him. He is my first pick, without a doubt, regardless of what these comments mean or don't mean. But I think there might be something to the concern that has arisen from what he said. We'll tell you what that is. We'll also talk a little bit of uh, NCAA. They did enact the transfer rule. What does that mean for Ole Miss and Mississippi State? Uh, I mean, and Southern Miss. I think, honestly, this might have, if they do it right, a really positive effect on Southern Miss. And we'll explain why later up on the show. Steven wants to talk uh, conspiracy theories today. We'll get to that a little bit later. And the draft is coming up soon. Depending on where you look... Uh, Mississippi, the entire state, will have one guy go in the first round or that same guy go in the third round. It just depends on what mock draft you uh, you look at. But it appears that Elijah Moore is trending in the right direction as we get closer and closer to the draft. More people are moving him up. A lot of people think that he is not uh, going to get out of the first round. Uh, I saw one mock that had him going to the Saints. And I know the Ole Miss slash Saints fan that exists in the state, there's a lot of them, would love to see Elijah Moore suit up for the black and gold. We'll talk about all that. Alabama spring game, maybe Bryce Young threw for 330 yards. And so now, first team All-SEC, Bryce Young's going to be the best player on earth. Watch. So media days, it may or may not happen, at least in its regular form. I think it's going to be normal, but if COVID is still a thing, I don't know if they're going to have 14 schools bring a Bunch of I don't know how they're going to do it. It might look a little bit differently, but when the media votes on preseason, first team, second team, third team, all SEC, there will be people that will put Bryce Young ahead of Matt Corral, and there are people, not as many, that will put Bryce Young ahead of JT Daniels. That is going to happen. I promise you, credentialed media, people that technically get paid to offer insight and analysis on sports, will say that Bryce Young entering this season should be looked at better than Matt Corral and JT Daniels. I'm telling you that's going to happen. I would bet hundreds of dollars on that. Whoever would take that line or put that line out there and take my money, I would place that bet. It's going to happen. Matt, Matt Corral will not be the first-team preseason All-SEC quarterback. He won't. He, he will not. And I, there are Ole Miss fans that, that I've talked to about this that don't believe me. I, I know how those people work there. JT Daniels played three good games last year, and now he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. That's how it's going to work. Yeah, who's it more important for the SEC to prop up? Bryce Young or Matt Corral? The answer is always going to be the Alabama be quarterback. Absolutely, for sure. 
Um, anyway, we'll get into all that later today. I do want to start with this, though. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but whatever. Um, I would have said the same thing last week after Ole Miss in Arkansas because they had attendance records uh, there in Oxford last weekend, but I was off. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that uh, that pre-planned show I had for you. Talked a lot of NFL last week. Um, but seeing the crowds on Friday and yesterday, I don't know about you guys, that felt really good. That that really just seeing 13,000 people that were happy for a couple innings yesterday, but that were really happy on Friday night, it was a little bit less than 13. What was it, like 11-5, something like that. Still yeah. a massive crowd. They announced one figure, and the figure was a lot bigger than that if you actually looked around. They underreported on Friday night, it feels like. I don't understand the motivation behind that. I mean, you look at the stadium, the stadium is packed, so uh, anyway. But to see 13,000 people after all this that we've gone through, I mean, we've done this at every level, right? Like, oh, it was just good to see sports back when the NBA bubble happened. Or at least that was my opinion. I know some of you guys didn't care. It, It was good to see football back. You know, we got college football. We got the NFL. No, there weren't many fans in the stands, if any at all, in some places, but Man, they played football. But now it's, we're playing baseball, and it doesn't feel any different anymore. This weekend and last weekend didn't feel different. It felt like everything was normal again. And there are some people out there, I know I've heard from them, that think that that shouldn't be celebrated. And it's, I I had one person tell me that it was irresponsible to say that it was good that Ole Miss put as many people as they could in the stadium last week. I I got that email and and I hear you. I know that there still is a pandemic out there. Coronavirus has not disappeared, but Mississippi's numbers look very, very good. And if you want a vaccine in this state, because the rollout has been so excellent, you can get one. So at this point, with a readily available vaccine that you can get, I'm not going to even sympathize with those people anymore. It was great to see 11,000 people in Oxford for three games last weekend, and it was great to see 13,000 people in Starkville this weekend. And I can't wait to see 13,000 more today for the rubber match of what is hopefully going to be another great game in an incredibly hyped series that deserved a rubber match, by the way. This series deserved a Game 3 that mattered like this. At least I think so. Yeah, you don't want to go into a Sunday with it already decided. One team trying to steal a game at the end. This game today is going to be awesome. I wish it would be flexed into regular SEC network so everyone could watch it, but I think it'll be great. Do you know what baseball games on the SEC network today? I do not. I can try to look for Cause, you. Because uh, Tennessee Vanderbilt got the network treatment, and that deserved it. They Shout out to Tennessee, by the way. I mean, th- they don't have the stadium or the crowd size or the student size uh, of what we've got here in this state. But they had a real atmosphere yesterday against Vanderbilt. It it sounded fun on television. So good for Tennessee for getting into the, hey, baseball's fun too thing. Because that was awesome. But anyway... No more waxing poetic about the crowds. Let's talk about the games themselves at Sports Sunday. 601-879-4395 is the text line. We'll be right back. I forgot to fix the camera. We will do it next segment, I promise. I promise. Welcome into Sports Sunday. Forgot to mention this, uh, Southern Miss. So it's tough with four innings, or four innings, four games they are having to play in two days, but they split yesterday with Louisiana Tech. 
this is the biggest day in Southern Miss's season as well coming up today. Uh, so they're not a host yet, but they are working their way to being a fringe host selection. Now, I'm sure there's an issue with Ole Miss and Mississippi State likely being locks to host, giving it to a third Mississippi school. That would be so cool to have would regionals be awesome. at all three. Oh. I, I have a feeling the NCAA will not do that. That is my guess. And I'm not, I'm not, it's not political. I have been told by multiple people that would know that they do not expect the uh, that law that Tate Reeves signed last month that is controversial to very few, but they're very loud. Um, I have been told that will not be a factor in postseason selections this year. And real quick on that, since I brought it up, if you're worried about that, I could be dead wrong about this, but I'm not worried about it at all. Because if we're looking at over 30 states that either have a law like this are awaiting a governor's signature on a law like this or have legislatures working on a law like this, the NCAA is not going to make a rule to where those places cannot host postseason events. Because like Texas, for example, here's the thing about the NCAA. Um, Above all else, aside from pretending like they care about certain things and doing their whatever you want to call their existence, whether it be incompetence or one of those adjectives, uh, it's a joke of an organization. But the thing that they love the most, even though they fail at getting it sometimes, is money. And if they decide to uh, do the blanket ban on postseason events in every state that has a law that says biological uh, men have to play with biological men and biological women have to play with biological women, uh, that means Texas cannot host events. And you know what? The NCAA loves making money. And you know what makes money? Postseason events in Dallas, in Houston, in San Antonio, in Nashville, because Tennessee's got one of these. I'm sure Georgia's working on one. They love doing stuff in Atlanta. Wouldn't be surprised if Florida's working. I mean, we got over 30 states now. I don't have a list in front of me, but you can probably figure out that among those 30 states are host cities for their events that make them a lot of money. So it's not going to happen, at least in my opinion. Anyway, but Jeff says they're uh, definitely not going to be a host. Um, Probably not, just because of the, the two Mississippi schools, but they can at least give themselves a case by taking two today from Louisiana Tech. They can make a case for it, for sure. Um, and either way, you do not want to see Southern Miss as a two-seed in your regional. I mean, my gosh. that <laughs> Of all the two-seeds you could get, you get Scott Berry's boys in your regional with the way they pitch it. One of the best pitching teams in the country when you look at Numbers, strikeout to walk ratio, stuff like that. They're one of the best in the nation. Them yeah. walking into your your regional as a two seed, that's not fun. And regionals and, and postseason baseball really can be a funny thing because you run into two really good starters and you're eliminated. So guys like Walker Powell and uh, I'm blanking on the name now. Walker Powell and Hunter Stanley. Got it. Attaboy. If you run in, thank you. If you run into two guys like that during a regional, you're doomed. And, and coming in as a two seed, you know them coming into your place and beating you. No one wants to lose a home regional, and you could if you face Southern Miss. Absolutely. 
So uh, be looking forward to that today as well. We got some significant baseball being played in the state this weekend. But let's talk Mississippi State Ole Miss. Uh, first of all, Richard says, absolutely brutal as a dog fan to watch yesterday, but loved it as a baseball fan. Nikhazy was just masterful. Yeah, this, I mean, there are just days. I mean, that's baseball, right? Where you beat somebody and have all kinds of momentum like Mississippi State did on Friday. Momentum's only as good as the next day's pitcher. And Doug Nikhazy stepped in and, I mean, that that's just kind of you tip your hat to the other guy and and that's it. Uh, but let's talk about Friday first. So Mississippi State wins 5-2. to two. Uh, They got the scoring started in the bottom of the first. Ole Miss fired back with two runs. They took a 2-1 to one lead in the bottom of the fourth. That was tied at two by Mississippi State. Then Mississippi State adds one run in the sixth and two in the eighth to win 5-2. to two. Doing a little box score house cleaning here. Uh, Rowdy Jordan had a hit. Tanner Allen had three. Keegan James, or Cameron James, gosh dang it. I do that all the time. I mean, Mississippi State baseball is an iteration of Jordan, Allen, Tanner, James, and it, it, they just recycle those names every uh, every few years. Not Keegan James; he is uh, he's not there. Uh, he had two hits, and DeBrule at the bottom of the lineup had one. On the Ole Miss side of things, just uh, six hits in the game. Gonzalez, Shatney, McCants, and Baker all had one. Dunhurst had a couple. The story of the night, though, was pitching. Uh, McLeod only gave you five innings, but. Uh, when you're looking at the number one offense in the SEC, at least statistically, and he gives you five innings only giving up two runs, that's fine, especially when you can get to your bullpen and they just slam the door in Ole Miss's face. Uh, it's only five innings. He only struck out five. I say only, but that's a strikeout an inning. Walked a couple. But but if you told Chris Limonis that McLeod against that Ole Miss offense that's very good is going to give you five innings and two runs and you get to hand it, to Johnson and Sims, only giving up two runs, I bet he would have taken it. That's all you needed from your Friday night guy, and then your bullpen stepped in and delivered. Uh, Hoagland was good for Ole Miss as well, uh, just slightly uh, not as good as what Mississippi State gave you on the mound. He gave up three runs. Uh, That triple probably should have been a double if you didn't have a a shortstop playing center field for Ole Miss, Uh, but Mississippi State got timely hits, uh, good pitching performances, and the Bulldogs win in front of a great crowd and a great atmosphere on a Friday night. Steven, you have any takeaways from uh, from this one? Well, I think it's Christian McLeod going five, but then if you're handing it off to Landon Sims eventually with even a slight lead, you know that you're in good shape if you're Mississippi State. And I think the atmosphere on Friday night did have as much to do with that win as anything else. I think that was the first time in a long time that all of these guys have played in front of that kind of Been crowd. And I don't think it's it's so much as Ole Miss shrunk in front of that crowd. I think Mississippi State is able to feed off of that crowd unlike any other program really in the country. And I, I think that was incredible to watch on Friday night. And then rolling that into the next day, I think Ole Miss did an equally great job, obviously, of just letting that roll off into Saturday's game. Yeah, they uh, they were juiced up on Friday night for sure. And uh, so that was a really nice win for Mississippi State. Set the tone in that series, but then Saturday comes. And it, like I said, momentum is only, only as good in baseball as the next day's pitcher, and Doug Nikhazy was just excellent uh, in this game. He went... 
And what's what's so impressive about it is the spot that he was in, right? Um, they get beat the night before, and they have already lost two series in a row now, and 13,000 people are there. You know State was feeling confident and ready to play in that game yesterday. And you throw a complete game one hitter in front of 13,000 people in what is, in my opinion at least, the most important game of the season so far. Now today is now the most important game of the season so far for Ole Miss, uh, but yesterday was the most important game of the season. Had to stop some bleeding. 13,000 rabid fans and you throw a complete game one hitter in front of their face. I mean, that that was big time stuff. And that one hit was a little grounder up the middle. It's not like it was even a good shot. Nobody touched second base. Nobody from Mississippi State yesterday safely reached second base. That's how impressive that was. I mean, and especially the pitching in this series. We knew it was going to be good, but my gosh, is it impressive. So I I told you about Friday night and how um, McLeod giving you five innings against what is statistically the best offense in the SEC. That's all you needed from him to get to your bullpen. Landon Sims is not human. He's not. I mean, I, I was joking on Twitter. He gave up a double, and I thought, huh, he is a at least partially human after all. Like, he does bleed, as it turns out. But what I love about Landon Sims is the way he works. It's fast. It's, all right, give me the ball, give me a pitch, and then he throws a pitch. And then, all right, give me the ball, get the pitch, throws it again. He works fast, man. I mean, he just, you can see it, like, in his face that I'm better than you, and I'm going to go let you take a quick trip to the dugout. Like, you see it on him. The body language is, I'm better than you, and I'm about to shove it down your throat. It's just those historically great athletes from Forsyth County, Georgia. Landon Sims, <laughs> me, who's to say who's better? <laughs> oh, man. Doesn't Ole Miss have a guy from there, too? I, I think. Don't Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. So we got that. I mean, just electric stuff from Sims on Friday night. And then Casey did what he does on Saturday. I mean, what a series. Just pitching all over the place. We'll keep on this next. 601-879-4395 is the text line. Don't go anywhere. The late Eddie Money bringing us back in. It's Sports Sunday on Super Talk Mississippi. 601-879-4395 is the text line. One of you says... Pitching was really good, but one of the teams hit a little bit as well. I was getting to that, I promise. 17 hits for Ole Miss yesterday in the game, as opposed to the one, as you know, from Mississippi State. Here's how it shook out. Um, Everybody, everybody in the lineup that started the game got a hit for Ole Miss. The first time Ole Miss's leadoff man did not get on was the sixth inning which was also the first inning of the game. Ole Miss did not score a run. Gonzalez had a hit. Chatney just had one, one for six. Kevin Graham also had one. Dunhurst had three. Justin Bench had two. McCants had two. Leatherwood had one. Plumlee came in to the game, also had one. Kale Baker had two. He might be heating up a little bit. Calvin Harris had one. Ben Van Cleve had two after coming off the bench. Whew. I mean, that, that's why uh, they are the SEC's best offensive team. I had So I, I put up some stats last week after the Arkansas game because there were some Ole Miss fans that were kind of losing it a little bit. And 
I had somebody tell me that Ole Miss was two good starting pitchers and that was it. And I pulled up the SEC hitting statistics and in conference play, Ole Miss leads the SEC in everything except for slugging percentage, and they are second in slugging percentage. It is, even without Tim Elko, the best offense in the SEC, and they proved that yesterday. Uh, Bednar um, didn't have his best day, uh, was a little erratic, and the strike zones also have not been perfect either these couple of games. Uh, and th- That's a both sides thing. I yeah. tweeted that on Friday, and somebody's like, oh, you're defending Ole Miss. I was like, I sent this while Mississippi State was hitting, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, it's that, especially Friday, with how inconsistent it was, I am well aware that it's a very difficult job to be an umpire. It's not easy. And these guys do other things. They're not full-time umpires. They got day jobs. It's not easy. But Friday is why I ask for robot umpires. I was going to say Saturday, but... Well, Saturday, I mean, both days. That could be because I was watching Friday hunched over on my phone because my cable and internet weren't working. So I was running the game on my phone off of like 4G or whatever. whatever. So I couldn't see the strike zone as well on Friday. But Saturday, it was funny, there there were fans behind home plate. And even when a call went in Mississippi State's favor... You could tell the fans behind the plate were just looking for consistency. They'd throw their hands up in the air saying, why wasn't that a strike yeah. or a ball the last time it was in the exact same spot? And it would change from one inning to the next. I mean, one inning he loves uh, fastball low, and then the next inning uh, it's a ball now for whatever reason. It just That's frustrating. So please give me the, the robot umpires. But anyway... Um, Bednar was a little out of character, but, I mean, you can't give this offense anything. You can't because they will just eat you alive, and it's really what they've done all season. Bullpen depth in pitching has been the biggest issue for Ole Miss after you get past the starters. And today is so interesting now because it's not like Mississippi State burned a bunch of arms yesterday either. I mean, they once the game was clearly, clearly over, I mean, were you really expecting Mikey Tepper to come in today? Like, are you sad that you can't use him today? Probably not. You have what is likely a full strength, Landon Sims. So Ole Miss burned no arms yesterday, which obviously helps them. But Mississippi State's got to feel pretty good about their bullpen situation today as well because yesterday's game was so so much of a blowout that they didn't feel like they had to put guys into the game uh, to, to try to salvage something. And that's one of those things where you almost would rather lose big rather than lose yes. a close game where mm-hmm. you're using all your bullpen arms and you're really fighting down into that ninth inning and we have to, you know, we have to throw our best guys out there. Now you have your Landon Sims, your Preston Johnsons, all these guys that you yep. really want to bring in in a close game, which Hopefully, for everyone's sake today, today is a close game because that's what this series truly does deserve. It, it deserves it. And, and Ole Miss has not used Broadway yet, so he is fully available. You can get multiple innings out of him. Usually in these Sunday games, you expect a lot of runs and stuff like that, but maybe not so much today. Uh, I mean, we won't see Derek Diamond for Ole Miss. He actually threw a little bit on Friday. I thought that was a bad mistake in that moment uh, from, from Mike Bianco. I I have a feeling he wishes that he had that back. Although, 
I mean, Diamond's stuff is good enough to to thrive in that role, but there's a reason you stopped starting him on Sundays. He could not get out of the gate very well. So you bring him in for his first relief appearance for you ever. He's struggling, and there's 13,000 people in the stands in a one-run game. I, I mean, I, I was texting back and forth with somebody during that game, and the, the, you know, I don't get everything right, but I remember sending him a message when I saw Diamond. I said, this one's over. And sure enough, uh, that's how it shook out. But that did save Broadway for an extended uh, relief potential this afternoon. Who's Ole Miss's go-to guy in the bullpen It's today? Broadway. Even not outside of a closer role, you still think he, he's the first guy out? Depends on how much you get uh, from McDaniel. If he gives you six innings, I see if Broadway can, can finish it. Yeah, if you get six complete, then I think Broadway gives you three. And Sims for Mississippi State can give you at least two. I mean, he can give you two today, I think. Yeah. How many I, did he pitch on Friday? I, I've got the box score in front of me. He I pitched two, two complete. Right. So, yeah, I, he can give you two today. Oh, man. <laughs> Hopefully, I mean, I think this is going to be great. I, I really do. Haven't seen any lineups out yet. If uh, if those do come out, we will bring those to you. Um, probably not many surprises in those, but we'll still bring those to you. As uh, We made the point earlier in the week, it feels like we talked about this series more than the Egg Bowl <laughs> leading into it. In part because during football season you've got so much going on. But, yeah, we really covered every possible angle of this series. There was a lot of pent-up something going into this one. I mean, we didn't get it last year. Really haven't been able to fill stadiums like this in over a year because COVID shut the sport down 13 months ago. There was more juice on this one than I ever... I mean, I've been here 11 years. I don't remember this particular series having this much juice going into it, if that's the best adjective to use. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think a large part of that is the fact that, and we talked about it earlier from an atmosphere standpoint, this is the first time that you could have shown me a television broadcast and told me, oh, yeah, this is from 2017 or 2018, and you wouldn't have batted an eye. You know, you had a full stadium. You had... You know, you had everything that you wanted watching on TV, or especially if you were there. I was not, but I think that has a large part to do with it. People knew that they were going to have a chance to really just feel normal again about a rivalry series. We didn't have to put the backdrop against it of, well, there's been some opt-outs and going back to football season. Well, there's been opt-outs. There's not going to be a full-capacity stadium, so it's not going to have the same vibe. This had the same vibe yep. as it would have three years ago, four years ago, wherever you want to place it on the calendar. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I did see it pointed out that um, this, these games this weekend and the games last weekend in Oxford had more fans than have been to a game at Yankee Stadium so far this year. And, and of course... It's because of restrictions in New York, but still, I mean, more people watched Mississippi State and Ole Miss yesterday than who the Yankees and whoever the heck they played. 
The Rays. They played the Rays yesterday. Yeah. I probably could have guessed that. Yankees are awful. Yeah, Worst record in the American League. That's uh, such a shame. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you hate such to a see shame. it. Uh, you know, the, those people have uh, just been... Uh, th- those are the kind of sports fans that you just root for. You know, just a classy bunch of people. You know, no exceptionalism whatsoever in New York sports fans at all. I mean, they just they deserve success, and, and they just don't get it. It's such a shame. Well, half of them don't. The Mets and Jets fans, like my dad out there, they don't actually get success. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, see, I actually feel bad for those people. Knicks and Yankees fans, they can get out. I mean, the exceptionalism that comes with those people, the overinflated sense of self-worth is insane. So they can lose every game, and I'll be happy. If you're still a Jets fan today... That's admirable. Same thing with you, the Browns fan. It finally paid off for me this season. Jets fans are still waiting. We talked about it this week some, too, because we've heard from Alabama fans that are just kind of bored now because they don't get excited for games because they're going to win. I hope to be there someday. (laughs) I mean, I would love to try it out myself. Yeah, But... Winning right now for you, the Browns fan, feels way better than anything Alabama will do on a football field this year. Right. Yeah, because it's just been, I mean, my entire lifetime, basically, we haven't seen success. Speaking of football, we had a spring game yesterday. Let's overreact to it with you next. It's Sports Sunday. We'll be right back. Had to let that go for a little bit. Welcome back to Sports Sunday. Somebody asked, with the normal seat back, why are the announcing teams not there? That's a great question. You know, uh, so let me put on my tinfoil hat here real quick. Um, I think they are using COVID as a convenient excuse to do something that they've wanted to do for a while. Because, as you know, things are a little bit tight at ESPN and other broadcast networks right now. ESPN continues to have to lay people off and... They have themselves to thank in part because they went with a terrible business strategy of let's get two blowhards to yell at each other all day long and invest millions of dollars into that subject matter when nobody watches. It's really kind of their fault. And a lot of really good, hardworking, smart, talented journalists have succumbed to that strategy. But um, it's very expensive. You know, to send these guys to locations and stuff like that that they're cutting costs, and I think this is going to be permanent. Now, for the big college football games, of course, NFL games, stuff like that, they will send their broadcast crews. But baseball, what it would cost to send Tom Hart from, I think he lives in Atlanta, doesn't he? I think he referenced that. He does. On Friday night. Uh, to get Tom and um, Ben McDonald on an airplane and send them to Columbia, Missouri, and pay for their hotel for a couple nights and stuff like that. And to do that for all of the basketball games and all the baseball games they put on, they find that they can save a lot of money by not doing that. And they are willing to make the broadcast be crap. Because I I like Tom Hart a lot. I really do. I especially like that Tom Hart injects local stuff into the broadcast that only the locals would get. And now that He may not be able to visit these places anymore. He may not get as much of that. But I like Tom Hart. But it sucked on Friday. It was bad. Because they're not there. They don't get to see everything. They don't get to hear everything. Everything's delayed. Because they're having to go based on the camera feeds they're getting and not being able to look up from the screen and see what's going on 
the broadcasts are far worse. And they're, right. they're, they're they're watching it like you're watching it yeah. on your TV. They obviously have a couple of different angles at the same time, I would imagine. But still, imagine try sitting on your couch, put it on mute, and try to do play by play. You're not going to get the same no. injection of the crowd into your broadcast because you're you're not there, and, and you really lose that part of the broadcast, and it comes through. Yeah. Everyone watching noticed that they're not there. And it feels differently, too, because a lot of things off the bat when you're watching on TV look like home runs, you know? And so, like, he had a home run call on Friday night that was delayed because he didn't know that it was going to be a home run, but if he was in the stadium, he could have seen off the bat, okay, that ball's gone. It's They're using COVID as the excuse, but it's a cost-cutting measure that's here to stay. Football games, it won't be a problem, but basketball and baseball – you're going to have remote broadcasts, and that's how it's going to be moving forward for the that, most part. That is such a mistake, and I get it. I get maybe you don't want to send a crew all the way for a spring game. They or tested this like that. before COVID, if you remember. They, they've been looking at this. There was an old Miss game I know that was called remotely before we knew the coronavirus was a thing. Like they've been looking at this before COVID hit. Talk about a conspiracy theory. They knew about it before it hit. <laughs> Well, they do business in China, so um, anyway, yeah, I think that's that's why it doesn't make any sense unless you look at it from that way. But at this point, uh, what cracks me up is the, the games that people do live broadcast from. So these guys, before they get like actually to the booth, they go have dinner the night before. They're hanging out during the day. They sit in production meetings, but. By gosh, when they're calling the game, you got to have a pane of plexiglass between them. Like, that's going to make any bit of a difference. I mean, I know they do it for TV because they would get the emails like what I get is, how dare you not protect yourself? But, I mean, these guys are, they ride to the stadium together. They eat together. They're hanging out. They're meeting together. That pane of plexiglass is not stopping anything. But, my gosh, they got to have it there. And you don't think during commercial breaks or whatever they walk out into the hallway right. and get something yes. to eat together? <laughs> and it stops like right at their head. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> anyway, uh, tease the spring game. Wait, I promise you, we'll get to that next because there are some things uh, to take away from that, especially uh, what could have been and thankfully is not with Wally's injury and um, something going into this game that you wanted to look for was improved offensive line play. And Will Rogers really taking the reins and looking like he belonged. Did that happen yesterday? Let's overreact to the spring game next. It is Sports Sunday. Don't go anywhere. It needs to be said that everything that follows this statement is after watching a spring football game between the same team. (laughs) Just divided into two. We have not been able to see a single practice. And spring games generally basically mean nothing. They are no indication of anything. I saw Barrett Salee this morning say that uh, going into this Saturday, he thought that LSU was going to be down this year. He has now changed his mind after watching them and thinks that they are Alabama's best contender in the SEC West. Do not do what Barrett Salee did and change your mind based on a spring game. We are going to talk about it and what we observed and stuff like that. However, 
it is just a spring scrimmage. That's all it is. So, with all of that being said, let's overreact to the spring game yesterday. Uh, a couple of observations, Stephen. I'm just going to give you give you the floor here because you you made a good list of notes here what you saw. I agree with a lot of this, especially the offensive line play. But again, it's a spring game and it's divided in the defense. Really, I mean, they know what's coming at all times. But still, uh, what did you see yesterday? Yeah, so we'll start right there, actually, with the offensive line. The defensive line knows what's coming. So does the offensive line. They know that they're going to see rushing three or four at the most. You're not going to get these kind of exotic blitzes and crazy defensive schemes coming at you. So really, the offensive line should not be any kind of storyline when you're watching a spring game. But yesterday... As you watch Will Rogers run for his life in a spring game, you're reminded of that fact that this group needs to get a whole lot better if they're going to be competitive in the SEC next season. And that was one of the first takeaways. It's just something you wanted to see better. Again, it's a spring game. We are not saying that they will not be better this fall. We have no way of knowing for sure. But as a fan sitting in the stands, I imagine that at least some were disappointed to not see glaring improvement in that department. Right. Especially in something that is usually so vanilla like a spring game where you're not you're not showing everything and the main point is to let your offense and your skill position guys really execute 11 on 11. And you weren't able to see that yesterday and that leads me into the next point which was watching Will Rogers run that first team offense it felt and it looked a lot like everything did in 2020. You didn't see a lot of throws down the field. You saw, saw a lot of checkdowns, him having to step up in the pocket, move around, and then eventually checking it down. And then some screens, which did work a little later into the game, but you didn't see anything that flashed from yesterday's spring game. Usually you want to come out of that thing with a couple highlights that the social media team can throw up there and say, you know, that's our QB1, and you didn't see that yesterday from the first-team offense for Mississippi State. Defense looked good, but... Defense did look good. We get somebody on the text line shouting out Jet Johnson for leading the team in tackles yesterday. He, uh, he did that. He had 16 for the junior out of Tupelo. I think it's a redshirt junior, right? Yeah, redshirt junior. Gosh, he's been there for a while. I remember that recruitment. Feels like forever ago. The kids are all growing up. But yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, especially, I wanted to see, I was looking to see going into it, Rodgers. I mean, who knows how much of a competition this really is. It's Mike Leach. There's always a quarterback competition for Mike Leach. That's just kind of how he operates. Uh, you would have liked to have seen more standing out. I think I still think he's better than Abraham. I think after watching yesterday, he's the better option. Um, that's just me. That's what I see. You think Will Rogers is the yes, better option? Yes, I think Will Rogers yeah. is the better option. Uh, even after yesterday, I mean, he wasn't bad, certainly. Uh, just didn't just jump off the screen at you, but that's okay. Uh, I still think he's that guy. Right, and you just I wish you could have seen a little bit more. But again, it's a spring game. I mean, who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. all for the last four weeks or whatever they've been practicing, he's just been outstanding. We have no idea. And I think Jack Abraham 
was always going to look better in that setting. Keep in mind, we're talking about a guy here who has started three years in college football. Yeah. So this is not some true freshman coming in, and we'll see what Sawyer Robertson looks like in the summer. And, of course, there's not going to be a a spring game-type setting, really, for all of us to watch. But Jack Abraham, you knew that he was going to come in with a command of the offense. He's a smart kid. He's been productive. He was very productive at Southern Miss. And, yeah, I think we'll find out in the summertime how much of a true quarterback competition this really is. And Mike Leach, after the game yesterday, said, you know, it's 100% wide open. And I believe we'll him. See. I truly believe him. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think anything coming out of a, a spring game can say, oh, I think Jack Abraham's now got a leg up on Will Rogers because he made a few nice throws, right. which he did. Mm-hmm. Him and Spivey had a nice connection uh, yesterday arguably threw two touchdowns to him on the same drive. In a spring game, just call it a catch. Yeah. What are we <laughs> just doing? Just <laughs> yeah. Are we really going to argue that the ball may have hit the ground? Just call it a touchdown. But nevertheless, he threw a really nice kind of jump ball to Spivey in the back of the end zone. And Spivey, a guy that uh, made a kind of a four-on-one catch in the Egg Bowl last year. That was his biggest highlight last season. I think he has a chance to be a really big red zone threat for them at whatever 6-5 that they yeah, list him at. Big-bodied receiver for sure. Yep. Uh, as you note here, though, and you're exactly right, the strength of that team is probably still going to be the defense. I mean, especially in the secondary. They've lost some pieces on that side of the ball, and it, I'm not glossing over that fact. However... Uh, should be really good in the secondary. Uh, we'll see what Jalen Green is able to do. Former five-star, right? The transfer from Texas. That's right. Um, High-profile skill set, Emmanuel Forbes, is. I think he's going to be a great player. They've got bodies out there for sure. And uh, they flashed yesterday. That'll be the strength of this football team, I think. Everybody talks Mike Leach, offense, air raid, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you're not going to – most teams will not be able to have much success through the air against Mississippi State. They, they should be really good on that side of the ball. And that's that's the big key going into year two, and, and people have always knocked Mike Leach for his teams not being able to play defense. So if his offense can take even just the slightest step forward with that defense, I think you're setting yourself up to be in a really good position moving forward. But it all is contingent upon that offensive line improving, Will Rogers improving, the receiver's improving. So, I, But I am very impressed with this defense. We were last season as well, building off of that, getting a guy like Green in there who was around the ball yesterday, had a defensive touchdown on a play where I think some players were waiting for it to be blown dead. Not really sure what was going on there, but yeah. a guy that is just around the football in addition to Forbes and some of the other uh, pieces they have in that defensive backfield, I think they're going to be really fun to watch. For sure. The biggest story, though, aside from you know wondering about the quarterback position and thinking that the offensive line hasn't improved much, I mean, that, that was really something I was paying attention to. State didn't run the football particularly well yesterday against their defense. That is a big area of concern that, again, overreacting after one spring game, uh, is something that I would still be concerned about, for sure. Uh, but Wally's injury... Hopefully, knock on wood, it sounds like a bullet was dodged there, for sure, which is great news, because when he went down, it did not look good. I thought, 
you know, some kind of tear, he's going to be out for the season, and that that just sucks because he is on his way to being a star in the SEC. If he progresses the way he should, he flashed star power last year. And after the game, we talked about it earlier in the show, but it, it bears repeating, that would have been the biggest story from this game, and luckily it sounds like it's not going to be much of one at all. Picture came out after the game, uh, after that injury, he had a brace on, but he was wearing sunglasses and a cowboy hat, <laughs> and uh, seems to be just a, a sprain, which is great news. A, a sprained MCL usually takes around six weeks to heal. So oh, that's plenty of time. Uh, they'll probably be cautious and let it take eight to ten because they, you know they don't need to rush him back. But uh, very, very good news. Uh, at first, felt I mean deflating almost, uh, but he's okay. And uh, that's great news because it could have been much worse. And spring games, I mean, they can give you false optimism or or false pessimism or season-ending injuries. That's really all that comes out of spring games. And uh, luckily, it's only the narratives and not the injuries we're getting to talk about with this one. So, you got any thoughts? You want to overreact? You can. 601-879-4395 on the text line. We'll get to some of those next and uh, turn the page a little bit. Steven wants to talk conspiracy theories, so uh, we'll go to that next. And then Trevor Lawrence, you concerned with what he said? That's coming up. Sports Sunday on Super Talk. Don't go anywhere. Jason said State's going to have to run the ball more and better or they may not win four games. I have heard so many people say that, yeah, well, Mississippi State this year, they're going to focus on running the football more. Where's that coming from? Is that just wishful thinking? Because I'm here to tell you, they're not going to run the football more. That's people trying to will that into existence. I guess so. I mean, even uh, our our colleague, very, very great person and smart guy, Brian Haydad, thinks, oh, yeah, I expect them to run the football more next year. I got 20 years of sample size that says that's not going to happen. I mean, I'm sure they will hand the football to their running backs on occasion. That will happen. But if you think that they're going to start like focusing and emphasizing running the ball, well, I, I'm telling you, I got 20 years of sample size that tells you that that ain't happening. It's going to be Mike Leach's way. And if that way doesn't work, it will not work and it will not change. I wouldn't call it a focus on the running game, but I bet the numbers are higher than they have been in any other year two of Mike Leach in a system. I, I do think that. I think I think he recognizes that to some degree that you have to run the ball in the SEC every now and then. Although I could hear people screaming, not actually, but I could feel it almost yesterday during the spring game. I think it was third and one, and they threw it. Then on fourth and one, they did run the ball. So it was down in the red zone. So I, maybe that kind of changes where you see it. But I knew on that third and one, people were just screaming, run the ball. It's not going to happen. I mean, it will sometimes because, I mean, the air raid does not mean you exclusively throw the football. They've always had running backs, and they have used them. But if you think they're given 20-plus carries, it's no, not happening. It never has, it never will. Never before has Mike Leach, though, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I would doubt it, had two four-star running backs like he does in Marks and Johnson. True. That is true. 
All right. You wanted to talk conspiracy theories. Where did this come from? <laughs> so, what, what is this new Coke thing you, you've got me talking about here? So this was usually a Friday news dump. There's something that's actually pretty big that I have to focus on on a Friday afternoon, and it keeps me in the office till 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. This was not one of those. This was finally a fun story on a Friday. So U.S. Direct, which I guess that's the company that does DirecTV, all this other stuff, they put out a, a map. And it says for all 50 states, each state's most searched conspiracy theory. Now, there's some crazy ones on there, like lizard people living among us. There's a new world order. You you know that, like, there are people, not like one person. There are people, lots of people in the thousands that believe that certain politicians are actually – a lizard alien race that came to Earth to infiltrate our politics and control the world. Well, if there gonna... are there are thousands of people that believe that that is true. I'm serious. If you're going to focus on one group that could be lizard people, I guess it would be politics. Yeah, I mean, that would be the first place <laughs> I'd look myself. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, people believe that. So there's, yeah, there's lizard people. There's a new world order where there's an alien race waiting to invade. Oh, my gosh. I pulled this up. You've got flat earth people. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Men in black basically out. That's California's most believed one, I guess, or most searched. I I shouldn't say most believed. Here in Mississippi, ours is kind of kind of lame, I guess you would call it. It's the release of new Coke. People think that. Coke didn't do it with the intention of it actually being good. They're saying they did it on purpose. They knew people were going to hate it, but that would drive up sales for original Coke when they brought it back because at that time, Pepsi was finally starting to crack into their market share. So when was this? This was 1985. Okay. So, so. a while back. And uh, yeah, apparently new Richard Coke Cross was, uh, he was alive then. I wasn't. <laughs> you can ask him good about morning, it on Richard. Monday. <laughs> So, yeah, it was back in 1985. I haven't tried New Coke. They brought it back during Stranger Things season two. So they released a new version of their soda, getting rid of the old version. Yep. And everybody hated it, and they went back. Right. Yeah, that's the basis of Hmm. the story. And then after they brought regular Coke back, they were saying, or people were saying, and this is where the, the theory came from, that... Obviously, so they they did it on purpose just to boost sales. Then the other two, one says it was used to mask the replacement of real sugar for high fructose corn syrup, which is cheaper. The other one is they used it to cover up the final removal of coca, not cocoa, coca, which I believe is the plant that produces cocaine and that they did this to satisfy the DEA during the war on drugs. So that's Mississippi's most searched conspiracy theory. And if you want a closer look at this, you can go to supertalk.fm, shameless plug there, and find my article. And you've got the whole map of every other state. So what what are some of these? Black helicopters. Uh, what? So, I mean, is that just like, because I see black helicopters all the time. They, they do flights out of Meridian, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, am I get- these ones. No, these are unmarked government helicopters that have been 
you know, kind of focused around where there have been UFO sightings, crop circles, men in black, and alien abductions. That's saying these secret helicopters fly into those areas. Okay. And I guess, like, brainwash people to say, nope, you didn't see anything. Well, well, shoot, maybe that's happening here then, because I'm telling you, I see them all the time. And these UFO sightings, to your credit, I know you've been on this for a while, they're getting more frequent. So... And more of them are now starting to say, okay, we can't really explain it. So then, you know, when... The- I, I talked about this. We, we went off the rails on Friday. Cause, I mean, I brought it. I was like, hey, look, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but um, there was a UFO that harassed a Navy ship for six days. And the government came out and said, all right, what is it? The Pentagon that officially confirmed that one, the images of it are real, that it happened. They don't know what it is, where it is, and they do not believe that technology is of this earth. And just it was a cutesy little news story on the Today Show, and then people just were like, "Okay, yeah, okay." A cutesy story that maybe it is the new world order, and they're going to invade. Oh man! Somebody on the text line does say it still has coca in it. Look it up. This is a conspiracy theory. So. I, yeah. I don't think it's true. I, I'm just relaying <laughs> what the conspiracy theory the is. The same guy I'm said, sorry. you mean they know lizard people exist. <laughs> so he's on opposite ends of the spectrum here with these two theories. One, lizard people exist, but Coke still has coca in it. Quinn said people were freaking out and hoarding old cans of Coke. He calls it a master marketing plan. I mean, honestly, that does make sense, though. That definitely if, does. If, you're lose, if demand is going down for your product... Create it. Right. And take it away. People they would manufacture demand for their make product. Make them remember how much they love it. So, yeah, I'm very curious. I want to try I, new I can Coke buy that at some one. point. I'm really annoyed that I didn't get it during the Stranger Things re-release. Okay, what's Deepwater Horizon? That was the oil spill from, like, 10 years ago. I don't so, know so that's, why that's that would be a that's North Dakota... Theory is Deepwater Horizon, and South Dakota's favorite conspiracy theory is Flat Earth. I mean, of all the things... Kyrie Irving's favorite conspiracy theory, too. Of all the things that can be a conspiracy, Flat Earth is by far the dumbest. Because it it is undeniably false. Like, there isn't even a, well, maybe. No, there's no well, maybe. Like, it is proven in every possible scientific level every single one that the earth cannot possibly be flat it's not possible and yet people still believe it it's crazy so the reason steven wanted to bring this to the sports show obviously was sports conspiracies what is your favorite sports conspiracy theory i myself love the frozen envelope that's a really good one saying that uh, commissioner stern rigged the lottery and he knew which envelope to pick because they stuck it in a freezer for a while, so he knew he could feel the cold and draw the cold envelope. That's my favorite one. And I mean, there's there's more to that too. Also, they say that they bent the envelope, and I watched something last night, kind of preparing. The guy who dropped the envelopes into the little thing that spins around, his he owned the firm that audited the company that owned the Knicks. So back in 1985, same thing, same year as New Coke, actually, when he dropped those in, they're saying he did that on purpose so they could see which one was bent because he hit it against the side of the thing. So 
There's there's a lot to that one, and I that might be the most believable and most potentially real sports conspiracy theory out there. I can get on board with that. A- anything that involves intentionally losing games, I can buy. I mean, my gosh, we have a former NBA referee on record talking about how he would bet on games and then officiate in favor for the games he bet on. I mean... We'll look at a few more of these next. This is fun. 601-879-4395 is the text line. We'll be right back. Here's one. It's interesting. Ray Guy had helium in the football. I never heard that one. I haven't heard that either. Ray Guy with helium in the ball. Apparently they they sent game balls to the University of Houston or Rice, one of the two, and they tested it and they couldn't find any. But yeah, that looking around the internet now, that is a that is a theory that's out there. Some of these are so stupid. Like Michael Phelps didn't actually win a gold medal in Beijing that the uh the touch pads that they help determine specific times and, and finishes when the Olympics, it's so close. Uh, I mean, touch pads go all the way down to college and high school, though, so they're not expensive or anything, but they use them. And the company that supplied the touch pads are a sponsor of Michael Phelps, so they rigged the touch pad to say that Phelps won when he didn't in a close finish, but yet there's video and photographic proof that Phelps won, but people still think that because the touchpad is a sponsor of Phelps that they rigged it to say otherwise. And people point to these kind of freeze frame photos where he looks like he's kind of further behind as they approach it. But that's the whole point of why Michael Phelps, apparently, I'm not a swimming expert, but that's why he's so good because he was able to close that gap with his final whatever reach. Ow. I don't know anyone listening if that made it through, but as I tried to make that motion, both of my elbows popped. You're getting older, man. We're we're not athletes anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. I learn that every day. (laughs) Yeah, every time I play tennis, I'm stuck somewhere between never had it and still got it. So (laughs) I hear you. There's another one that uh, the dropped field goal by Tony Romo was it was raining, but was because of a a ball switch that happened right before the snap, and they gave them a far more slick football to operate the snap and the hold and the kick with, and Romo dropped the snap because of that. That one only makes no sense because the NFL would never do something like that to the Cowboys. The Cowboys, right. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, if anything, they would have done it in favor. If, if the Cowboys were on the receiving end of that, then maybe you'd have something here. But, yeah, they want the Cowboys to uh, to, to win everything. You've also, Stephen sent me a link. There's, there's one that says Jimmy Hoffa was buried under the New York Giants stadium. Could be. That Kirk Schilling's bloody sock was fake. I mean, come on. I don't really get that. Maybe just motivation or like him trying to say, look, guys, I'm bleeding. Let's do this. I don't think that's the motivation that the Red Sox needed to overcome, you know, the first three nothing deficit in the ALCS in history. I don't think the bloody sock would have done that. Yeah. And then uh, one more. 
the Michael Jordan retiring in 93 to go play baseball was in fact a secret suspension from the league because of gambling or other reasons. No way. Just like the NFL wouldn't do anything to the Cowboys, why would the NBA want to suspend and get rid of Michael Jordan? Is that... Clearly, it makes sense to some people because this is a theory now that has been out there for yeah. almost 20 years. I've heard, I've heard people defend that theory. Like friends, people I know. I've heard people say that that's what happened. Well, I, again, that's why these theories stick around. They're, if nobody believed them, they wouldn't be out there. And this is a small fraction of these things that are out there. Uh, we could literally do an entire two-hour show on just this topic. There are so many of these things out there. My favorite one that I found yesterday that I had no idea was a thing was that people believed that the Orioles intentionally caused a power outage at their stadium to keep Cal Ripken's streak alive because he got in a fight with Kevin Costner because <laughs> Costner was having an affair with Cal Ripken's wife. Uh. Now, Cal Ripken has said in an interview, I was there at the stadium. Media members have said, oh, yeah, we saw him warming up. And Kevin Costner, I think, was filming a movie about, you know, 400 miles away that summer. That apparently. is so funny. But, yeah, that's one of the best ones that I saw last night doing some research for this. Uh, that the, no ir- the Iron Man was almost not the Iron Man because he was fighting with Kevin Costner. For- <laughs> and part of the theory says he broke his hand or his arm, but then oh, yeah. he played in a doubleheader the next day. So that would be incredible hey, if he, he was overcame quick, you know? that. Costner. I uh, I saw Kevin Costner. I don't know if they still do it, but he uh, he used to have a band, and uh, there the Corn Ferry tour. It was uh, nationwide at the time. Uh, used to come to Greenville where I grew up. They would have a tournament there, and it was a pro am. So you'd have you know Greg Kinnear and those kind that level of celebrity come and play. And Costner used to always come and play because after Saturday's round. They would set up a stage on the course somewhere, and Costner's band could play. And so my dad and I went, and man, they're awful. <laughs> I thought that story was going to end no. with, oh, they were awesome. <laughs> no, Kevin, Kevin Costner is an actor. Um, <laughs> definitely not a singer. But, I mean, I mean uh, you know, a few hundred people showed up because it's Kevin Costner, you know? Field of Dreams and whatnot. I have to rewatch Field of Dreams. That's not one that I've seen a lot. People won't like this. I, I think it's boring. It's it's not. There's a sentimental value to the movie that I think draws people to it. With you know getting to play catch with his dad, who's passed and stuff like. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. A lot of emotion there. But it's not even in my top ten favorite sports movies. I think it, it's slow. It's boring. It's just kind of. I mean, I get it, but eh. yeah, I saw it when I was younger, so maybe I will have to try it again now. But I mean, Kevin Costner has better baseball movies than Field yes, of Dreams. Yes, he does. He's got For the Love of the Game. 
He's got Bull Durham. Those two are way better than Field of Dreams, in my opinion. Yeah, the random John C. Riley semi-serious role in Field of Dreams. That's right. I always yeah. forget. Or in uh, in for the love of the game. For the love of the game. Yeah, yeah. He's I always catcher. forget he's the catcher in there. The the Coster's like, nope, I'm not pitching unless he catches. Like the, he's warming up for the game. Like you think that conversation would have happened a while ago, but he's in the bullpen getting loose before the game. He's like, "Nope, you're taking out that catcher because I get to decide who catches me today." And the coach is like, "Okay, sure." Yeah, didn't have that conversation when they're setting the lineup card. Yeah, nothing like that. No, <laughs> no. I actually enjoy that movie. I know there's the the love side of things and stuff, but I think they did the baseball aspect of it pretty well. Yeah, and it's good that they used. Like a real team. Like he was really on the Tigers and the Yankees. And it was a a much better setup. I always hate watching sports movies when it's like, oh, Western Tech State, they're playing this other team. Like any given Sunday. Right. Yeah, you've got to have real teams in it. I know the NFL has a hard time licensing that kind of stuff to people. But any given Sunday, which I like, would have been better if it was real NFL teams. And not the oh, Sharks or whatever. They licensed it for draft day. Again, Kevin Costner. <laughs> and it was the Browns. That's why I like that movie, I think. It's, I, don't, I haven't met a non-Browns fan that actually enjoys that movie, but I think I like it just because it's got all the Browns imagery all over it. Quinn says the Naturals is a better baseball movie. Mike in Oxford uh, said that For Love of the Game is a far better baseball movie. See, I, I knew I liked you guys because I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, for love of the game never gets the love that it deserves. Uh, I know it was a Disney movie too, but um, The Rookie I actually really enjoyed because it's a real story. That is a good one. Yeah, I always forget I mean, about it, that It's kind of cheesy. I, I know. It's Disney, but I like the that it's real. Like a, a guy actually pulled that off somehow. And I like Dennis Quaid. I think he's cool. And the kid from Two and a Half Men when he was like seven or eight or yeah, however. yeah. <laughs> Field of Dreams is garbage, and I'm a huge baseball guy. One of you says, "Hey, see, we've got the right people that listen to this. We do, we've the got... right people." <laughs> Tucker are... in Brookhaven says it's Angels in the outfield than everything else. Oh, great Matthew McConaughey role. Also, yeah, the cast. such a weird thing to go back and realize he was in. I absolutely love that movie. The, the cast in this movie will blow your mind. Um, so obviously the 1994 version and not the 1951 version. Oh, he's saying I kid. I don't, maybe he's oh. joking. I love Angels in the Outfield. The kid is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Isn't it, it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I used to watch that on VHS all the time. I mean, this this cast, man, I, I completely forgot about how good this uh, this was. We'll keep talking about this next. I'm up against a hard break, but why not? We're having fun. Big baseball game coming up later. Southern Miss has two big games today. We're talking baseball movies because we can. It's Sports Sunday, 601-879-4395. Jeff says when he was a kid, he watched Angels in the Outfield and Little Big League at least 100 times. I forgot about Little Big League. That was the one with the Twins, right? Yeah, he yeah. Uh, kid became the owner of the Twins and started managing the team. And 
Yeah. Good movie. Wayne says, uh, personal favorite was The Natural. Next text after that was, I never got into The Natural because the teams were made up. There's something to that. I mean, if you're going to do sports movies, it's better to actually have the teams you can draw some kind of connection to. Unless it's Rudy. Because I hate Rudy. Really? Because it's Notre Dame. Oh, okay. I mean, my gosh. (laughs) I thought you just hated the movie. It's an hour and 45-minute infomercial about how great Notre Dame is. Another speaking of surprising uh, cameos that about in Texas, those. I love it, but it's Notre Dame and I can't stand it. Yeah, surprising cameos in these movies and, and cast members. Vince Vaughn being in that movie always shocks me. <laughs> that would never make sense. Yeah, he's so I don't know why he runs like that in practice before he gets lit up. That's one of his worst acting performances, right there, is taking that toss and getting lit up. Yeah, Vince, no wonder you're on the third team, man. You're tiptoeing around. You should have run on the dance team instead of the football team, Vince. It is funny to see actors in sports roles that are not athletic at all and should not be in sports roles trying to try to execute it. No, it's good stuff. Especially bas- basketball movies are the worst. I watched that show 13 Reasons Why and I regret every second of it. But the basketball scenes in that show are so funny. They're so bad. I mean, have no business whatsoever playing sports. Oh, it's hilarious. But anyway. Tucker in Brookhaven says, unfortunately, he has to head to work. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for uh, making the show a part of your day. But uh, he said, if you put every baseball movie in front of me that was ever filmed, I'm picking Sandlot first every time. That's uh, that's just a, that's qu- a, it's a quality classic. Movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was on not too long ago. I watched about from halfway through all the way to the rest of it because you just can't turn it off once you get going. Amanda in Pike County says eight men out. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen this. That's about the the Black Sox. Yeah, scandal. and I, I mean I've got a, yeah. a deep personal connection with that. So my my best friend in the world, uh, his name is is Joe Jackson. And he is the great, great nephew of Shoeless Joe. So his dad is Joe Jackson. His grandfather's Joe Jackson. I think he's the great, great nephew. But I have actually... So they, they won't let the Hall of Fame have anything because they won't let him in. So at their house, in a, in a safe, very safe place, uh, they actually won't even let me see them open it up. Uh, they've got shoes and gloves and bats and the World Series ring. And I've gotten to put that on. That's it's awesome. incredible. But Ooh. they won't let him in. So Yeah, I'm good on them. I'd keep it too. The uh, the city of Greenville. Cause so he he started his playing career playing for the mill teams. They had a bunch of textile mills around in, in upstate South Carolina, and they all had baseball teams and they play against each other. Uh, so so the city built a Hall of Fame uh, for just Shoeless Joe Jackson since the Hall of Fame won't let him in. So and it's right next to the minor league park there too. So you can go see the Shoeless Joe. Hall of Fame and go catch a baseball game. But, yeah, I've, it, it was one of those putting that ring on. I, it it felt like it had power to it, you know, like Lord of the Rings. Like I was Smeagol. I put the ring on and I was going to say it, maybe. Just, it felt weird. It's like <laughs> that was on the hand of one of the most iconic baseball players to ever live who had his best series as a hitter in the series they claimed he threw. I was going to say maybe the power would be more like in like Mike when he puts on the shoes than he plays like Michael <laughs> Jordan. But I like that you went the Lord of the Rings route and we're really tying it into the movie theme. Yeah. 
just as the Airboat movies were good back in the day. They were. I enjoyed them. But, I mean, could you imagine trying to tackle a golden retriever? I would feel so bad. I mean, I'm not tackling that dog. Dogs are awesome. He's having a great time. What am I going to try to hurt him for? I'm not bringing him to the ground. I'm going to yeah. pat him on the head and say, good job. It's an extra advantage because, yeah, they yeah. know you won't tackle him. Carrie in Richland uh, says, I don't know if people remember, but Augie Garrido, the uh, legendary baseball coach from Texas and Cal State Fullerton, was the Yankees' manager in For the Love of the Game? No way. Wow, that's a solid trivia question. I got to Google this. Huh. I had no idea. Augie Garrido for the love of the game. Let's see. Now there's. Oh, my gosh. There's too many good sports movies to count. That's incredible. That's him. Wow, that's so cool. I had no idea. That just blew my mind. That's really cool. Give a favorite. We're not playing baseball. <laughs> this is our lives. Give a favorite all-time sports movie here as we miracle. wrap up. It's it's miracle yep. for sure. That's got to be up there. For it, me, I think it's either that or Friday Night Lights. So good. True stories, too, for the money. Yep. You know, dressed up a little. But um, you guys enjoy your baseball today. Huge series finale today in Starkville. It's a big one. And uh, just glad we're getting to have it. And, and I'm glad that 12,000 plus are going to be, be there to see it. So enjoy your baseball today, guys. We'll talk to you again next week. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.